On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we have an actual person that knows the names of football players, college football players, who can actually guide us through what we should be thinking about the committee's first attempt at ranking the top four. We have Bud Elliott on, um, and then Rufus and I give a little reflection on our Jason McIntyre episode last week. Um, we talk a little college football stuff ourselves, and we end with some picks, both trying to stay around the 500 number. So you're not getting a lot of value from our picks, as we don't either. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast where Rufus. Peabody, professional sports better, one of the most feared sports better, specifically in the golf space in the world. And I actually just finished listening to your um, Gamblers podcast, which actually like the second part of it was really good. It was fun and entertaining. I thought it was very entertaining. I thought David Hill did a fantastic job, especially he was weaving like three things together. The narrative, sort of the narrative of my history the the group well, then the i think he captured the ethos of who you are as this like person looking for that next challenge and next thing to figure out pretty well i like that but, but he did it while while telling a story of the super bowl at the same time and this sort of the history of the group and all that so i, I thought it was really well done and i especially liked the live scenes yeah those were good and those i'm i'm uh jeff ma professional podcaster um, actually, no, not really. Uh, ex-entrepreneur and now hosts about the process previously was a plus EV blackjack player, I guess, maybe back in the day. Now you're a full-time podcaster. That's what I'm doing pretty much. It's pretty much what I spend most of my time thinking about now is, is how to get Wrangle Rufus in. Um, Rufus, let's talk about one. Any reactions to the Jason McIntyre episode? Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I feel like it's, you know, exhausted some of our listeners and, but it, it definitely was one of the most, um, what's the word I want when two people controversial, when, not controversial. I don't think controversial, but it, it, like people had different opinions of it. What is that cringe? Mean? No, not cringe. Like just kind of people were divided, divisive. very divided. It was divisive. Most, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was the most divisive podcast. I think we've had some people really liked it. Actually, Sizzle told me he thought it was good, which I thought too. Was, yeah, I was, yeah, I was pretty happy with that. That person, Sizzle, that alleged person. The funny thing is, people thinking I was really mean to to Jason because I mean, I, if they think that was really mean, they should see really mean. And if people think I was being like pompous and a know it all, they should really wait. They should see you in real it. life. They yeah. Me- <laughs> <laughs> then I'll show them pompous. Uh, yeah. Just just wait till you get to the black or to the craft table. Craft table and say they don't make they movies don't. about losers. <laughs> that was a good one. I thought. Um, I mean, I thought the. I mean, I got a lot of different DMs with very different perspectives. There were people that said this was their favorite episode, and people that said like, I couldn't listen to this. Basically, why do you want to talk down to someone who is you know? I don't know. I'm not going to say anything mean, but 
it's I, funny because I, I wasn't like talk. I, I don't feel like I was. I was trying no, no. not to talk down. We definitely have different opinions. No, and- I, th- I think I think one thing though, Jeff, was when you did ask, like, okay, like you kind of gave him like a sports betting test. What is value, right? And it was sort of it became less philosophical and more like, okay, show me that you actually know something. Well, he okay. Anyways, okay. Point taken. Uh, feedback taken. I'll be a better person. One oh day. no! I mean, I, I'm just telling oh, you. No, the I'm just kidding. I, I'm kidding here. I don't. I don't. I don't. Care. But I'm I'm impressed that you're taking feedback. I owe, what are you talking about? I always take I know, feedback. I'm a very, very changing person. Um, what did you think of the the polls? And it, it would be interesting. Do you have your numbers out? I'd love to actually like go through a little bit of like what your lines would be for like some of these teams playing each other. For the college football? Yeah. Playoff? So you had or- told me, I forgot what you said. What did you say last week that that you're on um on a new uh, what your line should have been going into this week for Al- for Georgia Tennessee? Ooh, I don't remember what I said last week, but I, I almost had I to go re-listen to the digits. pod at that. At that, you had a double digits, I thought. Yeah, yeah. And are you I, did are you gonna end up? Pl- did you play Georgia already? No. Are you going to? No. Why? I'm trying to pull this up at the same time, and I keep trying to mute myself so that I don't you don't hear the typing. But why? Because it's not a big enough edge. No, it's so you have so, like so I make just it over ten right, or something. The, the line's minus nine. I make it eleven point three. Wait, the line's gone up to nine. Georgia minus nine. That's what it was as of. Let's see. We have isn't this that thing what that the, auto updates it now. It's amazing. Um, isn't that what the people call reverse line movement, where all the money, ninety percent of the money, quote unquote, is on Tennessee, and the lines going up to Georgia's favor. I'll rerun. I mean, I'm assuming this thing is auto-updating properly here. Although it says the given key CFP was not present in the dictionary, so maybe it hasn't auto-updated. <laughs> okay, well, so my, I'll pull out my automated odd screen and verify. But, but I make it 11.3. I'm not going to bet it at like anything under or anything over a touchdown. Honestly, you wouldn't would bet it at seven and a half. You'd bet no. it at seven. And no, half. seven and a half and nine. Is there a big difference there? No. The okay. no. And what would you, what would the line be like? What, what are, first of all, what are Massey Peabody? What, what do they say the top four teams should be in football? In college football. Yeah. And is Massey Peabody in other sports? Um, You know, there was a time when we were going to, when we took a foray into uh, college sailing rankings, but uh, we have number one, Georgia, number two, Ohio state, number three, Alabama, number four, Tennessee. Got it. But if you, what's, you know, in terms of like, what if you take priors completely out? Can you run it without priors? I can. Curious. And and I do. Um, and I'm going to pull that up as well. The no prior version. My no prior is Georgia number one, Ohio State number two, Alabama three, Tennessee four, which I believe is exactly the same. That's order exactly what. That's in, that's that's pretty fascinating. Cool. Michigan number five. Five. Oh no, 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 never mind. I'm referring to the oh, I was referring to the actual with prior, oh but but actually the funny thing is also the same. <laughs> I'm trying to think about how that could be. Now, okay, so what what would you make? What do you make all for the like what would you make a Ohio State, Tennessee? A it, it sounds like you basically would have obviously. Alabama, 
uh, Ohio State and um, Georgia all favored over Tennessee on a neutral field. Correct. What, yeah, what would those numbers be? Sorry. Wait, wait. What would I make the numbers using my number with a prior or just based without, on without, a, without, with a prior now? Let's do okay, it with, with the prior. prior. I make Tennessee a, what is it? Um, looks like a, just over a nine point underdog to Georgia. I mean, they play this week. So, and then we have, um, let's see. Ohio, I'll, I'll just give you numbers. Georgia's 35. Um, Ohio State's 34 and a half. So there's a half a point difference there. Alabama you, it, it, it drops another two points. Um, so basically Alabama's a three point, a little under a three point dog to Georgia. And then Tennessee is six. So and basically half the so numbers points. are nine, eight and a half and six and a half is what you would make them against Tennessee. Against, against Tennessee. Neutral. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, that's Something what I'm like that. So I, I'm going on Kornheiser tomorrow and I, I want to talk about this, which is essentially like, and I'll mention you and obviously give you the credit, but like just, just what your numbers would say that these would be on a neutral. So it'll be, it's I mean, going to be interesting. So, so six, six and a half against Alabama. Um, yeah. Eight and, and then, a half against Ohio state and, and nine against Georgia. That's what we said. Yep. You got um, it. And so there's a big drop off then. What would you make Tennessee against Michigan? Um, two point favorite. Two point favorite, and then 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 there's the big drop off. So so I think there's sort of a clear top three, and that's Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, followed by Tennessee, Michigan is kind of that second tier, and then mm-hmm. then you have a big drop off of four points to Clemson, Texas, Oregon, and then sort of a mini smaller drop off to Mississippi State. LSU. So and you're, then, you're, then, you're, then we get clustered again. You basically. definitely believe that TCU should is fine. You're fine with TCU not being in there. TCU is number 19 and TCU 19. Like, yeah. And even with, without priors, their number. I had to count a lot. 14. So. Okay. So, I mean, look, um, look, they've, they've won their games though. And I do yes. think it's interesting in terms of the playoff committee and all that, like you do need to reward teams for winning games, not just yeah, for, playing well in the areas that are predictive so. strength of record strength of record as our guests will say um okay yeah, so strength of record believe it or not what's funny is alabama despite having one loss i have is the number three team in terms of strength of record just because of you know who they lost to right okay um tilted moment of the week do you want to go first or do you want me to go first um i'll go first i guess the tilted moment of the week for me was when i on monday morning actually sunday night when I looked through and, and saw that actually we, these total bets, we hadn't updated in our sheet. And so the amounts were a lot less in our sheet. Um, and it turns out that we had bet a lot more on them and they didn't do as well. We did well on the sides, poorly on the totals. So it ended up, uh, it ended up being a losing week in college football when I thought it was going to be a nice winning week. Got it. Uh, my tilted moment was the Fresno, uh, Fresno versus San Diego State game. So I I went to have um, dinner and drinks with my buddy Neil Renninger, who I think you've met before. Um, he um, his uh, cousin or nephew, sorry, is Nico Remigio, who is the wide receiver for Fresno. And he was like telling me, "Oh yeah, my my you know like maybe we could go watch that game." And he doesn't know one that that I have a. Cause I had asked David out for some, some sort of like picks. And he suggested that with the Fresno state quarterback back, 
that nine and a half on Fresno State was going to be good. Um, so I'd, I'd bet on Fresno State, right? And, sorry, I, yeah, I'd bet on Fresno State um, and um, minus the sort of nine and a half. And uh, so, so you know, I told Neil and, and we were like, oh, maybe we should go find a place to watch that game. And then, you know, San Diego State went way up on them, right? I'm like, oh, I'm not going to win this minus nine. And then we in the second half, we ended up having a under in that second half. And there were basically like no points scored. So I was kind of like watching in the back and I was like, well, at least I'll, I'm going to lose this, you know, whatever. And I didn't tell Neil, like how many points that I'd taken or anything like that. I was just kind of like, oh yeah, I just bet on Fresno as we go watch the game. Anyways, we didn't go watch the game. We, we all, if you follow this, what, what happens is like, I'm not paying attention. I'm just having some drinks. We ran into some people we know and Neil's kind of like following on his phone. I thought like, oh, I chalked this up for a winner. And then all of a sudden Neil goes, Hey, your bet won uh fresno state won and i was like wait what what and how could they and then i like looked and i was like oh and it also went over in the second half how is that possible because like he's like watching videos of nico scoring touchdowns like nico was the reason that they ended up like winning and it went over and it was also like an onside kick inside like they scored two touchdowns inside of two minutes to end up having that game go over and so, like, I had this, like, kind of tilted moment where I couldn't act tilted because, like, Neil was so excited that his, you know, uh, nephew, like, had these great whatever. and Well, and, the, and that he was excited for your bet winning. Right. And little did you know, like, it didn't exactly. win. And I didn't want to, like, rain on his parade that, you know, I was degenerate. Anyways, so that was my tilted moment. Um, let's welcome let's go to our uh our guest um who we will welcome in a second we're having bud elliott on to talk some college football it was it's a very good fun conversation that rufus tries to derail a couple times with the uh, interjections of his bets on louisville um, but we'll talk to you guys back on the the other side we now welcome in bud elliott to the bet the process podcast where we actually have someone on the um podcast who knows college football players names which i think is kind of an important part of um, being able to talk about which teams are good and which teams are not uh bud welcome to bet the process guys thanks for having me on i appreciate it well first off why don't you tell our listeners who um i think maybe three out of the seven might not know who you are so for those three who is bud elliott and where did you get how did you get to sort of being in this place where you get to be on our podcast yeah, so uh, I started, uh, I was an attorney, and I started a little sports blog uh, about Florida State back in the day, and that kind of blew up. It was one of the OG uh, SB Nation sites, and uh, I realized I really couldn't continue to be an attorney uh, and, you know, chase the goal of doing that, and uh, you know, just got lucky on my LSAT, so I didn't come out of law school with all the debt and and kind of chase that, and I got fortunate enough to work with Bill Connolly, uh, you know, who started SB Plus, and we just G-chat all day with Bill basically, and, and talk about his system and uh, like, hey, what about this? What, what do you think about this? Like, are, are you really capturing, you know, kind of this essence of the game or, or not? Uh, and really kind of got into the betting scene, right? And found that there were some decent edges to be had back in the day and, and still some now and, and like to talk about that and write about that, incorporate it, not in terms of just making everything about betting, but I feel like you just overall coverage of the sport uh, can be better informed if you actually have a decent feel for what the line is and what's it, what has it been doing and all, all those type of things. Uh, and then I got in the recruiting game pretty hard for SB Nation uh, and then jumped over to 24-7 sports. Now that SB Nation doesn't really do college football uh, a whole lot anymore, 
And uh, I had had some success in the podcast game when I was back at SB and then became the head of podcast here at 24-7. So kind of management and uh, I hate the word talent, but it's sort of a talent slash management hybrid role over here. I oversee the podcast and then I'm on the Cover 3 podcast and on CBS HQ, which is the CBS uh, streaming channel, which CBS is the parent for uh, 24-7 sports. Rufus and I don't hate the word talent. We just know we don't really have much of it. So it's fine. It's a fine word. Um, when you said early edges that you found in college football, what, what were some of those edges or what, where did they come from? I, I think like just stuff like removing garbage time when, when, when you're looking at, at stats, different tempo. Like back in the day, I mean, 15, 20 years ago, I think these college lines were, were much softer, right? And you could just find some things that you wish bet in some of these second halves, like which these teams had a tendency to pull off in the second half more than certain coaches did uh, felt like it was not easy, but easier than it is now. How were you able to take those, that sort of analysis and, or how did you take that analysis? Right. Which is a kind of what I would call an astute hypothesis, but then actually create metrics around that. Like what was the process that you sort of thought about to try to get from hypothesis to actual science at some level? Sure. So you, you could look at things like, like snap counts, right? When are they putting the backups in? What, what is their time of possession per play in the second half, especially if you, you controlled for you know, run rate and pass rate? Are, are they throw, like just you know, visually watching some of the games? Are they continuing to throw deep? If so, does it feel does it feel like there's a thing to this where it's not like you're able to apply this to every single team out there, but there are certain teams you pay attention to. You really hone in on it. You may be able to sense a trend here or there. Where you're able to you know profit on that did you do do you think any of these types of sort of i won't call them simple but i would call them very you know they, they make sense any of these like intuitive type of edges still exist i, I think they probably do but it's it has to be uh that you, you have a bit of a sample set problem right where once the coach has been there long enough i think other people will pick up on it and probably it disappears a little bit in the market but if you know certain rivalries, maybe that somebody wants to rub it in or not. That's a little bit sort of narrative based, which I don't love. Uh, but there, I think there are times where a coach is trying to, to show something. And maybe if they, if you know that a coordinator might be on the hot seat, maybe they try to score some more points in a game. I, I think it's possible, but I think it's harder than it used to be. How do you make sure that that type of stuff like isn't already in the market? I think that's a really good point, right? Like how, how do you know that's not priced in is, is something where, I think you have to be numbers based and then you can make certain qualitative adjustments. But I, I think if you're just going all qualitative, it's probably not going to work for you. Like I, I use power ratings and then I'll make individual game to game adjustments or, you know, matchup type adjustments to where like my number on a game might say 12, but I really don't like how, like how does this team play as a 10, this other team plays at a 22, but are they going to be able to play as a 22 against this style of team, right? Or are they better set up to blow like, like to win by margin, against another type of team that maybe they match up better against. Going so back would you to just go ahead, Rufus. Oh no. I mean, in the discussion of sort of second half blowout type situations, I've always found it interesting wondering how much the coaches are aware of what the point spread is. I'm sure they are, especially at sort of the bigger schools where you have a bunch of boosters who are going to bet on the team regardless. And essentially if you don't cover and you had a chance to cover late, I feel like the boosters might make your life a living hell. Um, and what's interesting is that in the historical data, there's um, teams tend to cover more in that sort of 20 
like plus range spread or being a 20 point favorite or more than you'd expect. And it's pretty significant. Um, and it's sort of the point where like, okay, maybe the coach says, you know what, we're going to get past, we're going to, we're, we're going to cover here just so that I can keep, keep the powers that be happy. I, I think that's probably true. I mean, anecdotally, there, there are examples throughout history. I think Spurrier was, was pretty well known when he was the coach of the Gators before he left for Washington of knowing what the number was and, and go and go and get it, especially when, when they could, uh, but then again, like he also was a great cover guy at Duke back in the day when Duke was not not a favorite in games. But uh, I think guys who have the ability to play, like to be good offensive coaches and go out and score those points, probably have a little more control over that. But then you'd also have to know that they actually want to go get that cover. But to Rufus's point, I mean, the ones who seem to know, I think, are probably a little better for it. But I mean, like take this year, right? So Kiffin is having a nice year at Old Miss. That's you know, Old Miss's coach. Uh, they punch it in late against Vanderbilt, which wouldn't seem to be something like they let's twist the knife at Vanderbilt. But in, in prior games, they really, really called the dogs off pretty hard. But look at Ole Miss second half against Georgia Tech this year. So I, I don't think it's something you can blindly do with every coach. Well, did that touchdown get them the cover against Vandy? Yeah. And were the and when they called off the dogs, were they not, I guess, in a position of, you know, where the cover was in doubt? Uh, they were, the cover was not in doubt, uh, but I, I don't know that, that uh, excuse me, I don't know that Ole Miss actually covered the second half against Georgia Tech. They were up pretty big in first. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how. The, I'm, the sure, I'm sure. I'm sure he doesn't know the, the second half line. Yeah. I'll, I'll put it that yeah. way. If he does, he might have a problem. It's yeah. just really hard to get a second half API, um, as as we all know, who bets second half. So I'm sure he doesn't have a second half API to his like Surface laptop or whatever. Um, but like, are there other? Co- I mean, because like <clears throat> we we've heard this right. This idea that like they try to cover for boosters and that kind of thing. Um, but I've never actually heard real evidence of this. I mean, do you got, do you got, have you guys have anything more than just anecdotal? No, I, I think it's really purely anecdotal. Like some coaches are really good covering, but then over what period of time? And once, like, once you get these guys that bet trends and are really about trends and whatnot, if they start tweeting out about it, is that going to, is that going to move the number at all? Right. Like uh, DeBoer at, uh, at Washington has been a tremendous covering coach uh, basically everywhere that he has been a head coach and an OC. Uh, I think the, the, the stat was basically since he became a head coach or OC, they were covering it at almost a 70% clip, which is obviously great. I mean, so, but now people have caught on to that. It makes me think of sort of the whole Belichick thing and like Belichick's teams have covered the Patriots have covered at a ridiculous rate over 20 years because they've overachieved in that time basically. And so I would, I wouldn't expect that to necessarily continue. Unless but but wasn't some of that, wasn't that, and, wait, is and, a coach that isn't being priced in, in terms of like, he's, he's consistently have his teams are exceeding expectations. I know you're going to make a Tom Brady argument here. No, 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 no. I'm not making a Tom Brady argument. So you're wrong Rufus, but I, I, um, there were a couple underlying statistics that, uh, Belichick's teams typically outperform, right? One was red zone success and red zone defensive success. And the other the was turnovers, right? Level. Yeah, ball inflation, loss level. but like, no, no, but like, again, yeah. like this was not just. There were some right. underlying statistics that caused them to outperform what their over, you know, what their underlying metrics would have been normally, right? Well, if you think that those underlying per play metrics tell the entire story, okay, okay, but you're saying you're saying that the lines were built. I'm saying that those general underlying statistics are typically what drive lines to some degree 
And those statistics that we believe are less predictable over time, meaning like, like red zone efficiency or turnover luck tend to be things that smart people think are, uh, will, you know, revert to the mean or are not predictable over time. And so therefore if Belichick's being priced off of statistics that are general and he's able to control statistics that are um, not normally figured in, but are not normally thought to be predictable, then he will continue to outperform the market. That's my, I mean, that this, was my, this makes me think of putting, to be honest, where it's something that if, you know, if I looked at just eight tournaments for a guy, it's going to tell me very little about how good a putter he is or how good a player he is. But if you have a body of evidence over multiple years, you know, it'll, th- there is signal there. And so I feel like it takes, I think it takes a lot of time to get signal in those types of things. Cause a lot of that stuff is like, you know, fourth down decision-making. Um, I don't know. I mean, well, Belichick's fourth down decision-making No, it's not sucks, that great. So, I mean, I agree, but I, but my point in general was that I feel like just looking at cover rate is, I mean, probably a little misleading. You're going to capture a lot of noise just looking at cover rate. And I I'd be interested in seeing essentially how the team does in a situation where, the coach, I guess the coach's approach in a, where, where he's not trying to maximize his chance of winning when the game is basically decided um, if his approach at that point is what is kind of driving it. Right. So like, I don't know how, what's his run versus pass rate, like in the fourth quarter when they're up in blowouts. I mean, I think a guy that's covering at a higher rate is um, probably staying more aggressive longer if he's got a um if, if he's got a really good team and then there's also if you have a bad team there's times when you know you might be down 20 points with like two minutes to go and some co- some some teams are just going to run it three times and get out and other teams are going to try to do a hurry up offense and try to get a score so i feel like those would be the things that to me would be more indicative of something predictive from a coaching perspective i think it's also potentially or there's some possibility that you have more control over it in college because you are that much better, but like your intent as a coach might matter more than it does in the NFL. The NFL, because I feel like the talent is more balanced. You can't necessarily just press a button. Hey, let's go get that extra score in college. In some matchups you can. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Like, in there, you know, you in it, their blowouts are relatively rare in the NFL, at least relative to college. Yeah. I think college is interesting too, because like, you know that it seems like in many games there's less of a tendency for them to take a knee in a two score or three score game than there is in a one score game where they still feel like the the actual you know like the the result is in in doubt um okay let's let's move into um i mean if you think and if you think about a game like let's say you have alabama against vanderbilt or something like that like literally whether alabama covers or not is not related to how good they are versus how good Vanderbilt is. It's related. To, it's going to be related to how well, or at least overall, it's going to be related to how their third stringers play and how aggressive they, they are on offense when they're up 40 points in essence, whether and, like, yeah. And like for, for, you know, this year and last year, now that we have the advent of the transfer portal and, and immediate transfer eligibility, uh, you may need to, be, need to be thinking, Hey, like, was this kid's dad on the recruiting trail a real helicopter parent? Is he going to be pissed if this head coach does not let him actually throw some balls when he comes in as a backup quarterback as opposed to just handing off, right? So maybe they are more likely to let, let the backup chuck it around. And so you're not getting Alabama's ones the whole time. Maybe you're getting Bama's ones and and their twos actually playing with some intent. Like that, that kind of stuff to think about, you know, these 
these kids want to transfer. They want to play. Uh, they don't all love just coming in and handing the ball off all the time. That's like there's little edges I think that you can find in some games uh, like that. But I, yeah, I'm not betting a whole lot of like 40 point spreads typically. That's not because uh, it is just there's a lot of guesswork involved. That I feel like it's really hard to quantify or even guess about. Yeah, it's something a power rating isn't especially just isn't especially great at. All right, let's let's move on to this this year and talk specifically about um, the recent poll that came out. Um, you know, one, I guess we can all react, but I'd be interested from your point of view, Bud, what you thought of uh, what the committee did. Um, I, I have an idea of what you're going to say, but then we can talk a little bit about what what it should be and um, where we think it goes from here. Yeah, so I, I think when you look at this and, and throughout the history of the playoff committee's rankings, you have to understand that the first six or seven weeks of these rankings are largely for a TV product. ESPN literally has a playoff rankings release show that they own the rights to, and they have to give people some things to talk about, and they also own the rights to games. And I don't want to go full tinfoil hat here, but having been in the college media for a while and seen and heard the the rationales that they use to rank teams and see how they completely differ or contradict each other flat out week to week. Uh, it it leads me to believe that they don't take these first few weeks all that seriously. I think they uh, largely produce them to embrace debate or to create debate rather with the whole you know, embrace debate uh, thing going back to ESPN back in the day. I act, which is weird to me because I feel like in the final one, they generally are picking some combination of the most deserving slash the four best teams but early on there's really no reason why you need to rank 25 teams if you are trying to produce a, a show talking about the best four the the back half of that ranking really just exists to justify whatever you want to do in my opinion with those top four or five teams so for this week specifically what do you think i guess i guess how do you take that idea of it being um you know, like a, a a piece of entertainment, and say what they did wrong in this case. If let, let's just let's just pretend that we, instead of uh, wanting entertainment, want to put the top. And again, this criteria is weird because the criteria is is a moving target always. It's like who's the like played. I mean, I guess I the question I would have for you is what if you were on the committee, what would your criteria be, um, now? what would it be at the end of the year with that change? Right. And, um, and, and ultimately what would it be, I guess? Yeah. I, I, I think I would value if, if obviously power ratings, um, strength of record, I think has to be in there because in order to have some integrity in the sport, but the actual result on the field, who, who wins and who loses, even if it's a really you know, turnover luck field win, I think just for the integrity of the sport and to keep fan interest, you can't just have, Hey, you know, Louisville's the better team still than, or excuse me, Wake Forest is the better team still than Louisville. I think a lot of us probably took Wake last week. They had eight turnovers in the second half. Would I take Wake again this week? Yes. Like I would still have them power rated over Louisville. Like we have to at least acknowledge the results on the field. So I think I would use some combination of strength of record, which unfortunately does not account for margin of victory, right? Like you have to have some dominance factor. So I would, I would have some blend of strength of record power rating and then for tie-breaking purposes you work okay yeah i i hated louisville's uh secondary actually oh, in, in, in i just messed, i just put in the chat i said i was on louisville plus six but <laughs> so i got yeah, way I to derail the podcast Rufus. Right. thanks for that 
Um, I didn't the, want to interrupt, uh, so I interrupted no, 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 via it, text yeah, instead of via voice. Derailed the podcast. Yeah, Perfect. even worse, even worse. Yeah. So, so some combination of strength of record, which I don't have a problem with ESPN using that metric. I mean, they they seem to flaunt it a lot on the show, but it, and I think it's a, a good metric for what it is, right? It's what are the chances that that an average team or an average top twenty-five team rather would have this record if it played this schedule, which is a, is a fair thing to consider. I think it acknowledges results on the field as far as the win-loss column. But it doesn't really speak to dominance, right? And so I think you need to have some, you know, some type of power rating there. And then for tie-breaking purposes, if if those things are relatively close, I think you should consider head-to-head. Conference titles is obviously something in their uh, in their criterion, which they can't use on a week-to-week basis because nobody has won a conference title yet. Some of these things though that they use that I don't like are they talk about the completeness of a team, right? They want to see an equally equally well-balanced offense and defense. Well. Maybe the best team we've seen as far as on-field accomplishment in my lifetime is 2019 LSU. And LSU had an offense that was just off the charts good with Burrow and, and, and Chase and basically six or seven first-rounders on that team. And they had a, a, a capable defense that played well at the end of the season. But I mean, if you use like FPI or, or SP Plus or I don't know what, what Massey Peabody had them at, but almost certainly their offense was number one in the country and – even above a really good Bama offense, and their defense was probably somewhere in the high teens or low 20s by the end of the year. That's not really an equally well-balanced team, right? It's just super dominant. <laughs> if you score 60, it's fine to give up 30. Um, that kind of rationale annoys me with, like, oh, this team is equally you know, good on offense and defense. Who cares? Just how good are they overall? Like, I, I, I want to know how do they – I don't really care how they get the final result. I just want to know how they get that final result. You know, do they get it? Um so that's something I, I, I think is, is somewhat annoying. Uh, they also use things like game control, which I understand, but they don't seem to apply it equally when they're you know, being interviewed, right? They're like, well, TCU has lacked game control this year. Alabama's had great game control in some of their games, but they've also been down to Texas, right? They've been down to Tennessee. They've been down to Texas A&M. Um, it just seems like they're, again, their reasoning week to week is sort of, backfit to whatever they want to make the rankings they're not really following a consistent process in my opinion okay so let's jump into this year then what what where what would you where would you have the top four teams right now as far as just power rating or just like what would i do if i was the committee if you were the committee, committee. yeah so i i think i would have tennessee one just based on on what we've seen right like even if we think this year's alabama team is maybe not quite as good as we've seen in previous years they're still they still have the Heisman Trophy winner. They still, I think, are really good on defense overall. And Tennessee you know, did beat them. Uh, they have a, a win at a decent but not great hit team. And that was, uh, you know, they, they knocked Slovis out of the game there. So that maybe we, we discount that somewhat. I'm not real high on Kentucky this year because I do feel like they had a, a true downgrade at offensive coordinator. And their offensive line is nowhere near what it was. They also lost their offensive line coach to Bama. Uh, but they still spanked that that uh, the Kentucky team. And if you look at the result against Florida, you know, Tennessee won that game pretty comfortably, and Florida was damn near perfect on fourth downs. Like Florida got almost every break to go its way, and Tennessee really was not threatened. So I, I think having them one is fine. Uh, if you look at like best wins overall and most dominant, Georgia really has only been threatened in one game, and that was Missouri, and they just played poorly, but they smoked a pretty good Oregon team uh, by what, 40, I think, in the opening ball game, which you know is pretty impressive. I, 
I think Oregon actually moved the ball somewhat in that game. They just did not hit enough explosives to really hit anything big. And then once they got in the red zone, Georgia just kind of clamped them. Uh, they made Auburn look as bad as as Auburn has looked uh, when they played other kind of dominant teams this year. So I, I think Georgia too is is fair, but you could also argue Ohio State. Right? I think Ohio State's offense is every bit as good as Tennessee's is. There's a little bit of sketchiness when I watch Ohio State's offense in the red zone, and, and this is something that's persisted about the last year and a half under Ryan Day. They they seem to have more of a drop off in red zone scoring than I would expect when they play. Uh, decent defenses. This is some you know, Bill calls covariance, right? So, you know, to me, that's something to watch there. But they're still really good. I think defensively, they're much better. And Ohio State appears to have guys now on the D line uh, who are not necessarily that Bosa Chase Young level, but some of these dudes they have were guys just like, okay, on the recruiting trail, we stamp that kid as a five star. He's doing things that are not normal, like playing receiver and seven on when he's two hundred eighty pounds. Like that's. That's an athletic thing that just kind of stands out to you. And now those traits are showing on the field with guys like JT and Harrison and those dudes. And they got a new coordinator, obviously. I think Ohio State two or three is fine. Um, Clemson is, is another one here where I feel like they're sort of putting Clemson four and justifying it by backfitting the rankings. You have Syracuse, NC State, and there, there's another Clemson win. Wake they Forest. Have. Wake Forest, exactly. Uh, in, in the backside of these rankings. I don't have those teams as top 25 teams personally uh, right now, at least not in my power ratings and, and probably not in some of the strength of record metrics. So Clemson at four does seem kind of high, but I understand, I, I kind of understand how they got there, right? Like those teams were ranked when they played. A couple of those teams are still ranked. I, I can see how they justify it. Michigan to me, like I think should be higher because of their dominance level. This is where the whole strength of record thing comes in. And I'm not really sure it captures Michigan perfectly. So if you're not considering metrics that are showing your level of dominance, and the committee doesn't seem to do that as much, just based on the stat sheets they get, I, I feel like you're not really fully capturing how good Michigan is. Like they beat the crap out of Penn State, right? They had a, a what, like a 70-yard pick six go against them and a little bit of, of you know, bad variance in the red zone. But their success rate was sky high. They they hit explosive runs and passes against them. It was it was a real dominant game, and they're getting penalized. I think the committee's trying to send the message here: Hey, schedule better in the non-conference. Don't don't cancel the non-conference uh, home and home against UCLA. Don't play a non-conference of what, Hawaii, UConn, and uh, somebody else who was just you know, bottom ten nationally. I, those are some things that I would kind of nitpick with it. Uh, TCU. I think actually this is the other area where I really have a, a problem with committee. What, what what defines top 25 as better than top 30, right? Like just marginally better. But the group is, I don't know in your power ratings, but I mean, 20 versus 40, yeah, it's not it's that pretty, big of a gap. They're pretty, right? like, pretty damn clustered at that point. I mean, like, like I got like four, four and a half points between 20 and 40 right now. I, I got... I got 4.98 points. So, yeah. So we're not that right. See, no. the thing is they draw these arbitrary, arbitrary, you know, cut lines where they're actually making their own top 25 and then rewarding teams for, be, for beating the teams in their own top 25. TCU, I think, has had a really difficult challenge that is not fully captured by some of these metrics. And that is they are going to end up playing a schedule with not very many cupcakes. The worst team they're going to play in the conference is probably Iowa State or West Virginia, depending on how you rate those. But they're going to play a whole lot of teams sort of in that 20 – 40 range 
And if they don't get the right breaks with the, the correct teams winning and losing, they may have a lot more games that are in that sort of 26 to 45 range where the committee's not really considering how difficult that schedule actually is. Like they just played five difficult games in a row in the month of October, West Virginia, Kansas state, Oklahoma state, uh, at Kansas, which can at least score this year somewhat. And then I forgot what the fifth one, Oklahoma, right, where they actually smoked Oklahoma before they knocked their quarterback out. I don't think the committee's really fully – that's a tough thing to do. No bye weeks going through all, all in a row, whereas Tennessee, they beat Alabama and they beat down Kentucky. They also had uh, an FCS game and a bye week this month, right? So I don't know. I, I feel like they're not fully capturing that. I, I would have TC over Clemson right now if I was doing just these rankings and trying to reward what's happened on the field so far. Okay. So let's kind of segue a little bit into this week and, and also into sort of what we're looking at. Um, when you, you had, uh, is the BCR, uh, is that something you developed yourself or? Yeah. 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 So I, explain I a little bit about what that is, because Essentially, I think it's interesting to talk about it, that in the lens of this week's game with Clem, with uh, Georgia and Tennessee, where I think we all know the line is 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 eight. Um, there's a lot of money theoretically we're hearing on on Tennessee plus the eight. Um, your BCR ranking would say that Georgia has a very big talent um, advantage over Tennessee, but yet um, we still think Tennessee belongs in the top four based on what they've done so far. So how does, how do you, how do you rectify all of that? I guess. Sure. So I, I always tell people like I, I've, I've checked the, the BCR. There is no advantage in picking the spread using BCR. Like it, it is fully baked in in the spread uh, BCR is blue chip ratio. It's something I came up with a little over a decade ago. If you guys remember, they used to hype teams like Wisconsin, they being like the media, the more traditional media, like the narrative media. And they like, they would hype teams like Wisconsin and Michigan state and, maybe a Washington or, or some, some schools like that, right. For the national title. And I was, I was at these recruiting camps and there's no way in hell. Like you, you look at these kids at Georgia signs and you look at these kids at, that at Wisconsin signs, just in the aggregate guys, this ain't happening. <laughs> like they, these are different level of athletes. And so I just went and I looked back the best we could because recruiting rankings in the nineties were really all over the place. We had about 10 years where they were at least somewhat standardized. And I looked back and said like, what, what's the minimum level? of recruiting that you need to do in order to win a national title. That's really the only question I set out to answer with this, just what is the bare minimum? And people like round numbers, and I got really lucky that I got a round number on this because the number was actually, you need to have four, at least half of your class over the past four years be four or five-star recruits. And I don't think it's gonna last forever, although it certainly could, I guess in, in theory, uh, but so far it's, it's held up for the 13 years I've been doing this now. Um, which has been you know, decent run in, in college football. Uh, I wish I had better data to go back to like the, the advent of the 85 scholarship era in 92, but that there just wasn't a standard number of four or five stars being used back then when they were just USA Today uh, published. But I, I always thought, okay, if this gets clipped, what's going to kill it? It's going to be a team that's close that has a real special quarterback. So Mariota almost got me the year that Ohio State won, right? And then Ohio State snuffed him out in the title game. Uh, the year that Saban onside kicked against Deshaun Watson, that would have broken it. Clemson was like 48% that year. And Tennessee this year is 45%. So Tennessee is very much on the radar, and they do seem to fit that pretty damn close. They're the first team out, and they have a really special quarterback. 
Yeah, I, mean, I think that makes a lot of sense that the like 40 somethings, the high 40 somethings have been close, but like at some point they will win, right? I, I wanted to ask a little bit about sort of if the way four and five star recruits or star stars are assigned is basically the same now as it was back then. Is it a certain percentage? Um, is it graded on a curve? And if the distribution, I guess, has changed at all or like three stars, if, if it's, if let's say, only, I don't know, 10% of recruits are either four or five stars, you know, maybe there's less of a difference between a four star and a three star. Um, I, I don't like, can you, can you kind of explain a little bit about how that works? Sure. So uh, at 24 seven sports, which is one of the, you know, the, the, the three major, well, I guess four major uh, services out there that put ratings on recruits, uh, you know, so us, ESPN uh, rivals, and then a newer one on three, uh, they all put ratings you know, based on various factors. Most of them are going to have a similar number of four and five star recruits, right? So we typically have 32 five star recruits because that represents 32 spots in the NFL draft. And we think that, like, judging by all conference or you know, Heisman votes is a little bit different because that's more of a voting thing. Whereas if we're just trying to purely judge talent, we want to judge our rankings based on the NFL draft. And there are certainly ways to nitpick that and we've, we've had those discussions but when, when we grade our rankings against the other networks rankings every year that's just the easiest way to do it like there's no bickering it's right who who got the closest graded by the nfl draft and, and let the chips fall as they may uh there are definitely like fewer kids that go under the radar nowadays uh, i remember just hell 10 15 years ago you had some of these schools in, in rural counties it was hard to see what the kid was doing on film. The camera quality was was so poor, and you didn't have as many of these seven on seven passing camps or uh, you know, recruiting combines, and you also didn't have digital film. Back in the day, these these coaches were having to go high school to high school to pick up VCR tapes, or just have to you know hope that their recruiting office intern, if they had one, sorted through the right highlight tape and watched it. Nowadays, I feel like kids get discovered earlier, and there are fewer kids, in my opinion, who fall through the cracks. So I, the hit rate. On these things has definitely gone up. I mean, you're you're seeing like well over half of your five-star high school kids get drafted, you know, which is pretty good. And a, a, a large not like you're if you look at the odds, I mean, five stars are, are getting drafted at an astronomically higher rate on average, you know, per player than like three stars. Obviously, if you count the two-star slash unrated kids, you have a, a bit of a, a sample issue because it's impossible for all those dudes to get drafted. There's only you know a certain number of spots. In the draft, uh, but overall, it, it I think the rankings are better than they have ever been because you have better data now, right? And you have, I was like, okay, like when we miss, where do we miss, right? And I was you know, sharing some of that stuff internally, just historically, okay, it might be this kid who, uh, you know, we we dropped in the rankings late, but maybe should have dropped all the way out, right? I mean, maybe there's some. I forgot the term for this, but when you, when you don't want to fully give up your, your prior and, and you probably should, right? You should just completely uh, change it up at the end. If you see something that's just so statistically significant to you, like maybe this kid is just that much bigger, faster at this, this event when you're comparing, you know, in person. Would you okay, say, real oh, really? I was going to, one quick, one more quick thing. Um, would you say in a way, I guess the importance of recruiting rankings lends credence to the thought that priors should matter even in the national championship game or at the very end of the year, like it, what has happened on the field, isn't really the, you know, even controlling for opponent, et cetera, isn't the only thing that matters. 
I, I, I think for sure. Uh, also, not only what has happened on the field, but what has happened on the practice field, right? What, what has happened in the offseason? If you are going to be a starter at an Alabama or a Georgia, uh, you've had to beat out several several other kids who also had elite physical talents. So maybe if you were actually starting, coaches get stuff wrong all the time. Tennessee did not start Hendon Hooker, by the way, until game three of last year. And that was when Joe Milton got hurt. So Utah didn't start Cam Rising. You know, and if you were still using some of the first three games last year of Utah when their offense was hot garbage, you were probably betting and losing uh, unders pretty regularly on, on, on Utah in the month of October last year when it's like, oh, this other kid is much better. But I think for the most part, coaches make the correct decisions on playing players. And if you're able to beat out all those other guys who are really similar physical talent for the most part, you probably have some maybe competitive character about you or something mentally. Maybe you just process what, what the defense is doing to you better. I think there's some of that to sort of battle testedness, if you want to use a, that term, to where if you're a starter on that roster and we know that roster is that level of talent, that means something. Okay, real quickly, let's. I wanted to talk about the three marquee games this week, um, and then we'll get you to our seven questions and then get you out of here. Um, the obvious one, Georgia, Tennessee. Uh, I, I have Alabama, LSU, and Clemson, Notre Dame as sort of the three main ones that have implications to what we just talked about. Do you, starting with uh, Georgia, Tennessee, is that eight too high? Why is, you know, where's that money coming from? Is that smart money coming on Tennessee? Shouldn't we all be jumping on Tennessee plus the eight? I I made it seven and a half. So like, I'm, I'm not in a rush to, to go take eight. I, we've only seen Tennessee play a road game once this year at Pitt. And honestly, like Pitt gave him quite a lot to handle, especially in the first half before the quarterback got hurt. Um, I think it probably helps somewhat that Kirby saw how Nick tried to, Kirby Smart, Georgia's coach, uh, I know not everybody listens to the show, the college ball fan, so I'll, I'll try to use full names here. So Kirby Smart, the head coach of Georgia, was the defense coordinator for Saban, right? And Saban's a renowned defense coach, Belichick, Tree, et cetera. I think it probably helps that Kirby has a full game of seeing how Nick tried to defend Tennessee and can see, okay, like they use this formation this motion to try to you know create this type of coverage bus and successfully hit it. I mean, would they have three 40 plus yarders in that game? At least maybe four. I, I think that probably helps them some. I think Georgia's offensive line is better than Alabama's and they probably will be able to stay ahead of the chains better than Alabama did. I'm interested defensively though. So I don't know if you guys know who Nolan Smith is. He yeah. He's out right for the rest yeah. of the year. And Georgia already was not a good, uh, like pass rush havoc team, if you will, this year. They're really more of just an assignment sound physical defense, but they were not a real, like not a real high tackle for loss, you know, pressure type team. Tennessee, before garbage time this year, has scored red zones in goal to go situations at a 100% clip. My guess here is that's probably not sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you look at how many explosives Bama gave up, and you know that Kirby wants to run a similar style defense, but probably tweak it some. I think there's a decent chance Georgia dares Tennessee to continue to be that perfect in the red zone. And hey, can you push us around in the compressed area where we don't have to defend quite as much space? Because Tennessee's basically running that old Baylor Browse stuff, like almost to a T. It's a pretty carbon copy of it. And when teams beat Baylor back in the day, they either did it with turnovers or with getting red zone stops. In the open field, this thing is is extremely difficult to stop. 
How about the other two that we talked about? You see anything interesting in in Bama, LSU, and and Clemson, um, Notre Dame? This is you know past posting. I'm sure I'm sure I'll get you know get get you know, tweeted at this. But I took some 14 at open with LSU, uh, but other than that, I think that number is probably probably okay. I just don't love the matchup for LSU. I just I took that based purely on power ratings and figuring it would move. My thing is the best set of pass rushers that the Tigers have seen this year are the opening game against the Knolts. And LSU is a freshman left tackle, and he has to try to block Will Anderson, who might be the number one overall pick in the draft. And since then, LSU has not really faced very many good defensive lines. Auburn's very down this year. Ole Miss, their defense has cratered over last month as they've had some guys go down with injury. Florida, who basically the narrative out there is that LSU has found this sort of offensive renaissance recently. And I think that it may just be based, I'm sure there's some increased comfort in the system, but more likely, I think they have faced some defenses that are really kind of cratering. I mean, UF is now last in the nation in third down defense. They've played some really good offenses, but still, uh, I don't think Bama's going to have to blitz to get pressure on the Tigers. And so for that reason, I don't really love the matchup for LSU, but at open 14 was too much for me. And then Clemson, Notre Dame, because honestly, this is like maybe the last, this is like Clemson's, they win this one, they're in really good shape, right? To, to, oh. to, especially starting in the top four. ACC championship, probably, right? I mean, who? Yeah. I mean, but yeah. yeah. They, they, they got to go to Rufus's Louisville Cardinals, though. Uh, late, late <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll see. Um, I think Clemson here is probably better than the market realizes. If you look at the teams that have been able to beat Notre Dame so far this year, they've basically dared them to throw the ball to their receivers. And for about the first six weeks, you could do that against Clemson because they had a ton of guys out. But progressively, they're getting a lot healthier in recent weeks. I think that this number is a bit cheap based on how Clemson performed against Syracuse with the turnovers. Uh, but if you look at this, like DJ actually on the year, it's kind of like a pitcher who had a bad prior year. He's playing really well early in the season. He gets bombed in one game. They pull him, and now there's a controversy. Like, we, we have six games of him playing somewhere between average and above average, which is much better than what the Irish have at quarterback. Clemson's defense, though, to me, is the key. They're getting much healthier, and I don't know, man. I, I feel like in the NFL, we get these injury reports. We track who played in every single game. I don't know that in the college football media we talk about that to the same amount. right? Of like, hey, who actually was in the game for them? I mean, they're running out when, when Wake Forest bombed them. They're running out two or three true freshmen in the secondary at the same time. And we can say, yeah, they're Clemson guys. They should be good. But it's still a very good Wake passing attack. It's probably going to throw around on you. Brian Brzee's sister had you know, died of, of, uh, of the, the cancer, right? And then you know he had to kind of work his way back into shape after his kidney ailment. Clemson's got some real dudes who are going to be like top 100 picks on that D-line. And I don't think that Notre Dame is going to be able to run the football on them like they have against North Carolina and against Syracuse. So I, I would expect, uh, I'd expect Notre Dame to score in the teens. Okay. We're going to get you out of here with, uh, we, we allow our seven listeners to each submit a question for each of our guests. And we go through them very quickly at the end with each of our guests. The first question is who is funnier Rufus or Jeff? Ooh. Uh, I think Jeff is funnier because like sometimes Jeff, Jeff hits Rufus like, like, like subtle jokes and Rufus just completely goes over it. And then like, I, I was kind of a banger by, by Jeff. 
Appreciate that. Who is smarter, Rufus or Jeff? Uh, I guess Rufus. I, I don't know, man. Like, Jeff, haven't you started a lot of companies? I've started a few, yeah. Four. Yeah, um, probably Jeff. <laughs> uh, what's the least relatable food that you like? I probably eat the same thing every day. Like, like, I, mm. That in itself is pretty unrelatable. Yeah, like, like I, my wife's like, really, you're going to eat that again? Like, yeah, that's fine. What is the um, meal? I don't know. Like, I, I would eat steak or, or just, you know, but whatever. Like, I, I don't have to have a ton of variety. Um, see, I, I don't like gator or something. What's that? I, I don't eat freshwater fish. Like, I, I, I like, I like seafood. I just don't like, I, I don't, you don't really eat like tilapia catfish. or catfish. Right. Or no, tilapia is straight ditch fish. Absolutely not. Um, personally, <laughs> but I didn't know we became an anti tilapia podcast. Uh, favorite gambling moment? Um, probably live betting LSU Ole Miss. Uh, that was in 2019. They just kept hanging absolutely just ridiculous lines and just being able to see into the matrix that day was fun because that was back when uh, I had some accounts that had like the, what, what's the other uh, software there with the easy, uh, just the, the lines are not quite as sharp as, as whoever's hanging the, the live stuff this year for Chris. And it wasn't technically garbage time, but they kept like, they kept reducing the, you know, the, the, the game total, just figuring, okay, it's a blowout. It's going to go back. And just very clearly watching LSU's guys pass rushing and Ole Miss is playing a receiver running wildcat like quarterback sweep with uh, Bruce Rodriguez, who is like a kind of an offensive genius for spread option type stuff. And LSU is like has no interest in defending the run. Ole Miss keeps hitting like 40 and 50 yard runs repeatedly. Joe Burrow keeps coming down and they adjust the total down three points after the drive. Guys, this is not garbage time, but this is going to be, I mean, I don't know what the final score was, but you're getting you're getting live game totals in the seventies with like 15 minutes to go. And it was the game probably finished hundred something. It was pretty wild. That was, I remember my, my wife was like, we got to go. And we were over at the in-laws house. Like, no, we're not leaving right now. Like this is we're in the zone, babe. I'll, I'll walk favorite back. Favorite bet you are making in the next year. Ooh. Um, I'll probably just bet Texas A&M again to win the title. Just I, I, I had their actually this is a weird combo, but I had them season win total under, and I had their their national title uh, this year at the same time. Just figuring they'd probably screw it up, but if they actually put it all together, their their upside was really really good. So I'll probably fire on A&M again if they keep that recruiting class together because it really was that talented. Worst loss you've ever had. Oh man, there's been plenty. Um, oh, uh, Florida State live this year at Louisville when uh, when when they lost their uh, their best tackle, their best DN, their best D tackle, and their quarterback all right before the half. So uh, Florida State live, Florida State second half, or excuse me, uh, Louisville live, Louisville second half in, in that ball game. The, the back quarterback for the Knowles came in and just uh, just torched him. And then finally, person you'd follow blindly. I think Rufus says it's David out, right? That's everyone's answer. Does does he make Chris live? Uh, he might now. I think he just go live. Okay. No, we're not sure. 
Um, yeah, he's he's pretty solid, I guess. Uh, she, I don't know, man. Like, do you, how do you know when somebody loses their edge if, if you're following them a lot? Like, if you're just blindly following them, right? You're trusting that they're not going to lose their edge, I guess. The, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a tough yeah. question. It is. Well, thanks for joining us, bud. I mean, this has been awesome. Uh, it's nice to actually have someone on the pod that knows something about college football for a change. So thanks. And uh, I think our listeners all benefited. Awesome. Appreciate you guys having me. All right. Well, that was the definitive uh, Bud Elliott interview. Um, I enjoyed it. It was He's very knowledgeable. And um, I'm glad you suggested him, Rufus. That was, that was your get as a thanks. guest, which thanks. is not something that always happens. I'm, I'm impressed that you were able to do that. You know, believe it or not, I do know a few people. You do not as many as you. Don't uh, you? you know, oh, not, I didn't get a with Phil Mickelson or anything like that, but I didn't get a question for you for, from our peeps. You better, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll go back rush. and find an existing one. You know, people actually had asked um, some interesting questions before about, when to bet NFL. Let me try to find this one. When oh yeah. Maybe NFL. for the, oh. yeah, maybe for, so this is from Sensei Poison Rationality. It's a weird one. Passan from at, at drive through duck. And it says maybe for the podcast, but when is the most opportune time to place a wager on a Sunday NFL game? Injury information increases as the game draws closer However, good numbers are also gobbled up as the game draws closer. I mean, I think that's an impossible question to answer. I mean, clearly. Well, that's why it's a good question, right? uh, I don't know. It doesn't have an answer. I mean, there's people that are like, what's the best time to bet? Right. It's, I mean, this is what's the best time to bet on the NFL. It depends on what you're betting. It depends on, it, it depends on a number of factors. If you're trying, if you have a winning model and you're trying to bet sides and totals, then the best time is to bet as early as you can. But well, on here's, a Sunday, here, yes. Here's why it's a good question to me because there is a lot of considerations that you would ha- would need to have or need to know to answer this question, right? One would be if you are trying to get a lot of money down, the markets are biggest, that's easiest, like the closest to game time. You can't get as much down earlier in the week, and obviously, like we're talking about large sums. Most recreational betters are not not going to worry about this. Um, the other thing is if you are depending on what you, where you believe your edge is, right? Like if your edge is information or processing information or something like that, like, um, like in the NBA, right. There was a time I think where markets tended to overreact to certain players being out like a Kobe Bryant. And so at that time, the best time to bet might be right before game time because the markets are overreacting to Kobe Bryant, right. Or to a Kevin Durant early in his career or something like that. Right. So um, there's a lot of layers to answering this question and there's no right answer is, is I think the, the reality. Yeah, I agree. It depends on who you are, how sharp you are, how much you're trying to scale things, what you're betting and where your edge even comes from. If you have edge. Yeah. How about if you're a recreational better with no edge, do you think the best time to bet is right before game time? Because the market is probably pretty close to 50, 50 and you'll uh, lose the least, you know, in, in a way, if you have no edge, I think the best time to bet is when, Lines are moving around a good amount, uh, and so you, where where you can price shop and essentially reduce the books in synthetic. Yeah, but that's that's actually in itself that's getting an edge to me. Yeah, well, I don't. I mean, it's it is. It takes almost no work to price shop. 
you just pull up an odd screen like unabated or another odd screen and it tells you what the best price is and you bet that I'm going to argue with you about saying that takes no work. No, it, it, most it, people it, are inherently it requires lazy. you to pull up a browser. It's true though. You're, I mean, that's, it's not a huge amount of work, but it's, I guess, I mean, it is work, but mm-hmm. it's like saying, texting, sending Jeff a text message to say hopping on is work. It is work, but it's not a lot of work. <laughs> okay. So what, did, so what did you think? In, like I, I was, I enjoyed the discussion about recruiting because recruiting plays a huge role in priors and you know how much I love priors. Yeah. I, I I think honestly like that, the only reason that I was kind of like ushering through that is I think that that subject itself deserved its own podcast, to be honest. And like, I think we weren't going to be able to get into that enough in that short amount of time. Like we could have him back on in the off season and talk through yeah, and they I would love to talk, talk about through. like yeah. how you assess like how a team. Yeah, we could do. We could try to do that in the off seasons where we do like deeper dives on some of these subjects. You should write this down, Rufus, so we remember this. That we want to do a Bud Elliott deep dive on recruiting and almost like creating analytics around recruiting. I just didn't think we were going to get into any real depth on that at that point. That's why I kind of like was like let's let's move through this, especially since we like told we like bargained with him to come on and said we'd only keep him for half an hour we kept him for 45 minutes i, I had said 25 minutes too yeah well you, you I, I was lied. late to therapy as a result though so do you feel like you're not centered no my therapist had rescheduled it anyway so i was so me being like 15 minutes late he was okay with because i was flexible for him he was flexible for me did he go an extra 20 minutes for you yeah nice or an extra 15 whatever it was um, so we got pixel. Oh, I mean, I thought, yeah, I thought the recruiting conversation, I, I thought that whole, like, um, like BCR thing was interesting. It's one of those like I mean, funny, that's, that's arbitrary stats. Though. Yeah, no, of course. That, that's of course. right. I mean, that, that's what I was saying. Cause it's, I mean, look, it's, he was basically saying this is the cutoff basically. Right. And, and there's a lot of ways to slice. Yeah, but we know matters. that like that arbitrary, those arbitrary threshold kind of things where you're like doing a sample size of like 13 winners. That's like the whole thing that you like make fun of people about when they do do this for like winners of golf tournaments and stuff. I like agree. That. I agree. And and I would be interested to see how a stat like that, like, a, you know, f- folds into a, a team's prior. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I use, I don't use that stat exactly, but I use, I have a recruit recruiting number for each team, which is a combination of, you know, different stars. And I mean, it uses the 24 seven ratings, the rival ratings, you know, I put, you know, an, an ensemble, if you will, and, and combine it in a certain way. Do you want to do our, um, who's going to, who's going to like, would be in the top four at the end of the year? Oh man. Look, so I actually did run the Massey Peabody simulation. I know you'll be happy to hear that. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say it's broken, but I don't see there being more than two SEC teams. And literally, if you add up the probabilities, you get more than two SEC teams. Well, so, so like, because if, because remember, this is a model, the committee model is going off of certain metrics that, you know, it's, it's like these teams' resumes. Um, how good are the teams? What is their strength? You know, what's the margin of victory been? How many losses? Strength of record? surplus wins, et cetera, all these sort of proxies to try to get at what the committee is deciding. But 
unless you put hard and fast rules, like only two sec teams, if there's been, you know, you're, you could end up with just because of the randomness in the sampling too. I mean, cause you have to add some randomness into this cause there is, you know, it's not like we can perfectly model the committee's decision-making. So, um, you know, you do have some times when you get a third sec team in there. I mean, it, I know it's ludicrous, but I mean, three of the four top teams in the country are in the sec. Well, it's interesting, right? Because I'm look. I pulled up Chris's uh, futures numbers. Who do you think their number one favorite is right now? Shortest odds. Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State plus one ninety. Ohio State has the simplest, the easiest route. They, they right, exactly. They don't have as many tough games. I I think that Georgia. This is essentially Georgia's chance at the national championship. They lose this. If Georgia loses this game, I don't think they will be in the national championship game or will so win the if they lose wait if they lose are they then not playing for the no they're not going to really have final. a chance to go to the sec finals sec right. championship so if georgia wait, loses which, so which di- i'm trying to remember i'm trying to remember which division tennessee's in are they in the alabama if georgia, the if georgia? georgia wins if georgia wins this game they're almost definitely going to be in the college football championship. I mean, they're almost definitely going to be okay. in the playoffs. Yeah, That's Tennessee's SEC East, Georgia's mm-hmm. SEC East. Okay, so if Tennessee, well, if Tennessee has wins over Georgia and Alabama, I don't see how they don't get in unless they lose, unless they lose again. And no, if Tennessee, lose- if Tennessee wins, they're in also. I no, think that's what I'm even saying. if they lose, even if they lose in the, they're not gonna. I, d- I doubt they will lose until the and then. Right. If, if but if they lost another game, if they have two losses, I think you can say they're not in. Probably. Well, don't don't you think the play right now is Alabama at plus yeah. three twenty five? I mean, I think Ooh. that they're they they have a very reasonable path, which is basically just get to the the SEC championship, which they probably will, right. And then win the SEC championship, and then all of a sudden at plus three twenty five with holding an Alabama ticket, you're in pretty good shape. You're right about that. So I think you're right. One of Georgia or Tennessee is going to be probably well, one loss and not getting a chance to play for the conference championship, and that's going to put them in a precarious. I mean, it's gonna it'll come down to this, right? If if Georgia wins this week, and then Georgia loses to Alabama. They're gonna say, well, Alabama's in because they won the the SEC, right? And they're gonna say Georgia's in because they beat Tennessee head to head. That's it. Yeah. So I make Alabama twenty point two percent to win the national championship. So not so you actually I mean, see a teeny bit of value there, right? Like I make them. I'm sorry. Teeny bit. It's about that's basically what you're pricing them at for plus three twenty five, right? No, no, no. Plus three twenty. I mean, so. Uh, no value at plus three twenty five. Plus three hundred is twenty five percent. Plus four hundred. Right, 20%. but twenty two percent would it fine? Tw- what, tw- just- no, twenty point two, not twenty two. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, I have them seventy nine percent to make the playoff, though. So I, you know, these are, the other teams are just very strong. So, um, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, I have Tennessee basically at fifty percent. Because Tennessee is a major underdog here. Right. And if they lose, I mean, like there really is a world where you could make an argument for three SEC teams. I know it won't happen, but let's, you have a one loss Tennessee that beat Alabama, lost to Georgia, was really good in all the other games. Let's say they play Georgia close. If Georgia 
if Alabama wins the SEC championship with one loss beating Georgia, I don't know how you leave them out. And then if Georgia has one loss beat Tennessee, how do you leave them out? Right. If they lose the championship game, it's, it's, I mean, that's, that's sounds like a nightmare decision for the committee. Well, let's hope it happens. Cause I like nightmares. Yeah, I love it. Okay. We got a pick of the week. Last week, my pick was Tennessee in the NFL, and it actually won. So I'm two and three now. Rufus, what was your pick? It lost. It was Toledo, whose quarterback ended up being out, and I got a lot of good reverse line movement. You know what's also interesting about CLV. You know what's interesting about the Toledo game, right? Like, so you did not know at the time when you gave it out why that line moved against you, right? No, we had bet it. We had bet it on Monday, and we have injury notes and stuff and we clearly hadn't, didn't have anything down on the quarterback. Got so it. So you just, you just didn't or, even know that there was some, who, that there, because basically I think it was known in the market that there was a chance he wouldn't play, but I'm just telling chance, you what, like yeah. I, I looked at like Metcalf or Jeffrey Benson or one of those guys had a really good tweet saying like, Oh, they're the market is essentially pricing in about 60% that he does not play. That's what he was saying. And, um, this, so I, I thought it was interesting because oh, you're talking about how much team. Well, you gotta, you gotta ping them and get on their asses because well, they're not, I mean, they're, they're looking at the research done by other people. Basically. They're not showing and up in hospitals, distilling the information. Got it. Um, but yeah, that was, yeah, not, so I'm, I'm three and three now after such a, such a strong start. Two and three and three. And I think three. I was three and oh, and now I'm three and three. Thanks, guys, for all of the great help that you're giving. Um, what are you going to play this week? I'm going to let you go first. Oh, I know. I'm not ready to go first, Rufus. It's so not ready to week. go first. Um, I, I don't have lines were straight. What are you going to do? College again? If George is actually eight or nine, no, George is not nine. They're eight and a half. So my, my sheet is not refreshing properly on, on what the actual odds are for some reason. Interesting. As I said, it says the given key CFP was not. What do you, what do you, Rufus, what is uh, Massey Peabody make um, the Raiders against Jacksonville this week? Now you're making me pull up an NFL sheet. I don't even have an NFL sheet around. I know, but it it worked last year where I like last week where I like talked through a couple and then you, the one that like Massey Peabody liked, I I used as mine. I'll just give you their team's power ratings. How's that sound? So the Raiders, which, 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 uh, which two teams do you want? Raiders and Jacksonville. Raiders minus 0.04. Jacksonville minus 0.73. Mm. So on a neutral field, the difference is a little over half a point. Right. Uh, so you don't really like that. Um, Nobody coming off a buy. How about the Rams Tampa? What's your value for a buy these days? Um, I'd have to actually look at the code. I, I believe it's about one and a half points though. One and a half points. Is that higher than it's been in the past? No, I mean, look, I react pretty slowly to, the, to these things. I'm, you know, I use twenty plus years of data, and so one year is not, you know, I one year isn't going to change things that much unless I think that there's some sort of fundamental difference in 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 how you know the game or travel or whatever. I don't know, but. I do weight recent years more in terms of that. Uh, okay, so the Tampa, the difference between like I have Tampa as 
three, a little over three points, 3.3 points better than the Rams on a neutral. Oh, so there's some value there. Yeah. I'm too high on Tampa. Probably. I think how about, okay. Last one. How about, um, the commies against the Vikings? Do you know why commanders is such a bad name? I realized it's three syllables, three. there, There are only two, I think three syllable NFL teams. One of them is the Patriots, but everybody calls them the Pats. And you don't have mm-hmm. like a good, I guess commies is going to be what Washington's going to be called, but you need a quick, you need a good, there's no yeah, one the syllable. There's no one syllable nickname though. Well, they might be a new a ownership soon. Nickname. So if they have new I ownership, hope, maybe, yeah. I hope if know. there's new ownership, I hope that they change the team name. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Washington is minus 4.7. And who do they play? Minnesota. <laughs> Minnesota. Okay. Um, plus 0.44. So uh, five points, be- uh, Minnesota is five points better on a neutral. Right. So theoretically, there's a teeny bit of value there. On Washington. I'm, I'm considering Heineke the starter now. I'm not giving like I'm. Maybe I'm making I'm making an executive decision there rather than a backup replacement because I think he's better than Wentz. Okay, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the commies plus the three and a half. Okay, That's my pick of the week. I like it. Were you, you were going with the one you were going over the games that you had value on and seeing which one I agreed? Yeah, oh, is that right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, for my pick. My pick is going to be Michigan State. It looks like you can get plus 17. Um, this is Michigan State has four defensive players suspended for the fight against Michigan, and we have not gotten market support the last two times we played them. Um, the question is how, how much are those four defensive players worth? Definitely something. I don't think they're worth 10 points. Um, and the number, and I basically make this number six and a half. What's interesting is with no prior, though, I would make it 14.9, Illinois minus 14.9. So I think that I think that uh, what that shows is Illinois clearly outperformed their prior and Michigan State is clearly underperformed. And I expect a lot of that to to persist, but certainly not all of it. And that's why um, that's why we still, you know, that's why my number is substantially different from the prior, because. You know, as Bud said, recruiting and all that stuff still does matter. Team talent matters, and so uh, I'm 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 going with Michigan State. Okay, so that's a that's a wrap for a long episode of Bet the Process this week. Um, next week we probably will have a soccer person on. We will be starting to get our World Cup Calcutta on, and uh, if anyone has suggestions on who we want to have on from a soccer standpoint, we have someone in mind right now. Um, but would love to. Uh, to get suggestions in our in our DMs. So talk to you guys all again next week. In a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppet are about to end just running off a of leaded. 